Hey guys, um, great to be here with you all. Um, it's kind of been a long time coming this weekend away. I've been very much looking forward to it. And, um, and it's great. It's just amazing to see so many people here um, spending some time together. And it's actually quite a strange thing, like what we're doing if you think about it. Like, I don't know if anyone got asked this week by a coworker what you're doing for the weekend uh, and had to try to explain this kind of concept. Like there's not really a category for it, I don't think. Like it's not really a holiday. Um, it's like we're going away, but not everyone even knows each other. It's like a hundred people who don't know each other coming to this weird campsite in the middle of nowhere. So um, I don't know if, if people asked you kind of why you were doing this, kind of what you would have said. Um, like I don't know if you would have said you, you know because you sleep better on bunk beds and you just don't need a good night's sleep, or because you heard that they'd actually managed to import this model of sensor light. It was first. It was first used in uh, the communist uh, torture chambers uh, to to send people insane. And you just thought, that's just how I want to spend my weekend. Um, or maybe you just didn't know how to play rock paper scissors, and you needed Cam to show you. I don't know what it, what it would have been for you. But um, there is like, like, why are we here? Like, a lot of us haven't slept as well as we might have. Um, there's probably a bunch of other stuff we could have been doing on the weekend. I want to put to you that the reason we're here isn't, isn't for any of those things. It's not even for the, for the talks you're going to hear or the food or anything. It's for this community. Um, it's to actually be together in one place at one time. And it's worth just noting really how far we've come from, from a year ago. This week, a year ago, I think two things of significance happened. The first is that Tiger King was released. Um, <laughs> That's just a bit of like a marker so you can kind of think in your head like, wow, that, that feels like quite a long time ago. That was a year ago. This week, Tiger King came out. Um, we learned about Carol Baskin and the, the Tiger people. But, um, but secondly, this, this week coming last year was the week that we went into lockdown. So this Sunday was actually the last Sunday that we had before we went fully online for a bunch of weeks. It was, we've, we would have just had the last uh, kind of small group meeting in homes before going on to Zoom for, for a few months. And so to kind of think back to where we were then and to where we are now, it's actually, I think, quite, um, quite amazing. But now that we've kind of lived through this year, we get to kind of have a bit of a sense of this kind of really what's going to hopefully turn out to be a once-in-a-lifetime experiment, which is what kind of happens when you take face-to-face community out of the life of the church. Because really that's the only thing that was taken away. We weren't stopped from, as Christians, being able to read our Bible we weren't stopped from being able to listen to sermons. We weren't stopped from being able to sing because we could still sing in our homes, in our cars. What, the only thing that was really taken away was the community. It was the face-to-face. It was the ability to have meals together, the ability to sing as a big group. Um, and there's been a bit of research already on, on the impact of this. There's a group called the Barna Group that kind of studies like, statistics around churches and spiritual health and that kind of thing. And they, they've done a few studies on the impact it had of people that stopped, going, stopped meeting for church in parts of the world where people had a choice. So in America where you could go to church or you could not during COVID. And they found that people who stopped going to church and meeting weekly had increased anxiety, they had increased boredom, and they had increased feelings of insecurity. And I, would, I find in having conversations with people, just quite anecdotally, that the last year has been for many Christians a year that's been quite spiritually destabilizing. Um, there, there's been a lot of a sense of just feeling distant from God that people have been describing. It's been a year where I think more than in years past, I've come across people who have entered into a season of uh, doubting and even potentially deconstructing their faith. 
Um, and maybe you would describe the, the year you just had as being actually one of the kind of driest, maybe even the most difficult years spiritually that you've had. And so as we've been thinking about at the start of this year what it looks like to thrive and as we move forward as a church, one of the things we haven't spoken about yet in the last few Sundays at church is, is the role that community has in that. And so we thought that would be a great way to start this weekend to think through what it looks like and what it means to thrive in community on a weekend that we can actually really put that into practice and enjoy that and experience it together. So from those passages in Hebrews, I want to just talk about a few things today. I want to be getting into kind of just what, it, what is this community that we're a part of, just the fact that we are a community. I want to show from the Bible why it is that we need community in order to thrive. Um, and then I want to think through some of the barriers that we might face to actually having a thriving community going forward. But firstly, I just want to show you, we are a community. Um, what, d- depending on how much that feels true for you day by day, there is a reality that if you are a follower of Jesus and City Light is your church, you are part of a community. If you look at the start of Hebrews 3, we'll, we'll get that up on the screen. Um, so verse 12 it is where, that we, we picked up from. You see the writer of the book of Hebrews just opens with this line that you might even just skim over because it's just so frequent in the Bible, which is, See to it, brothers and sisters. Um, the, the people in Hebrews are addressed as family. And you see this all through the New Testament. You see this through Jesus' teaching as well. That, uh, that a proper and the kind of main way to describe the church is that of a family. Which is really radical if you think about it. There aren't many groups that you're a part of that that's an appropriate way to describe yourself as family. I think one of the most amazing things about Christianity is this, there's this inseparable connection between the gospel that we hold to be the center of our faith and the reality that we are part of a family community. I think when we think about um, the gospel, often we can think of it in really vertical terms. So if you kind of were asked to kind of sum up, like what is the, the heart message of Christianity? I think most of us would, would talk in vertical terms of saying, you know, God made us, we sinned against God, and so our relationship with him was broken. So in the Old Testament, God gave us commandments that we might love him better. Um, and, and, but we failed in that. So God sent Jesus down into this world for us. He died for us so that we might know him. And now he commands us to live lives just going deeper in our love for him that we might enjoy this relationship for eternity. And that is the gospel. That's, that's, um, that's the center of our faith. That's, that's what it's about. But it's actually only one dimension of the actual kind of gospel story that runs through the whole Bible. There's this horizontal dimension that, that is inextricably linked to the, to the vertical. It's also true to say that God made a community. He made initially one family, two people in the Garden of Eden. And in, as these people sinned against God, they sinned against one another. And since that point, human relationships with each other on this horizontal level have been broken. So God gave some commandments. In fact, most of the commandments he gave were, were about how to, how to operate as a community, how to love one another better. And yet we've failed to do that. So God sent Jesus into this world and one of the main works that Jesus did was to rebuild a community. He gathered people together from different walks of life, from different ethnic backgrounds, from different genders, to start a new community. And when he died, he opened a way for us to be adopted into God's family as as children of God, that we might be brothers and sisters of one another. And now he commands us to, to learn to love one another better as we wait for him to return when we will actually be family for eternity. The story of the gospel, if you believe it, it it puts you in a community. That is kind of one of the the lenses of what it is all about. And I think it's what sets the church 
apart from really any other community that we're a part of. There is really nothing else on this earth that has that kind of permanent inbuilt link that we have between one another. So I don't know if you're any part of any other communities. Um, I was trying to think like what other communities I'm a part of. I'm part of a motorcycle club, which is very different from a motorcycle gang. Um, I thought <laughs> one word, very different. Um, we haven't put out any hits on people this year. And, and the club I'm part of, it's very, it's very new town, so it's more like vegan and tolerance and it is red meat and racism. So it's very, very different to like, there's not much leather, um, all that kind of thing. But, but the club that I'm a part of, um, everyone in it has one thing in common. We like, like motorbikes, obviously. Um, but beyond that, there's like not much to it. It's, it's more than anything, it's a Facebook group where people kind of comment things about bikes, occasionally get together and go for rides. But there's, there's not really kind of any built-in love for everyone else in that community. People might make friends in it, but really it's just we're on about the bikes and that, there might be some things tangential to that. The church is more than just like a Jesus club, like a group of people that have a, a shared interest in the Bible and so we, because we like the Bible and we like Jesus, we kind of get together. There is kind of a bit of that maybe, but more than just people of a shared interest, we're actually, like the metaphor, you just can't beat what the Bible has, is we're a family. There is something that, gives us an obligation and a relationship and a connection to each other that is just real and there and permanent. And I think the family metaphor works so well because your family isn't a group of people that you chose. Um, you didn't choose, no one chose their parents, no one chose their siblings, and even if you've got children and you may have cho chosen to have children, you, you, you certainly haven't chosen what those children would be like. If you've got an extended family where people have married in, you haven't chosen your brothers-in-laws, your sisters-in-laws, and yet you're family. Um, with all of the good and with all of the bad that comes with that, you have to put up with people with different like, political views, personalities that are just kind of hard. Maybe members of your family will also be your friends, but maybe they won't. They won't. And that, that's what the church is. This is the dynamic that binds us together. Sometimes I think we think of community as just kind of one aspect of what we do at church. So, you know, the church has a bunch of things. We listen to sermons, we read the Bible. We do social justice, we do worship, and we do community. But to understand this reality that we are brothers and sisters, community isn't something we do, it is who we are. That is who we are. How, how well we do it is another question. But City Light isn't something that happens on a Sunday, it is this group of people. Um, it's this web of hundreds of individual connections and differing levels of friendships and, and knowledge of one another that builds up a community and a family, a massive family. And that's why we're spending this weekend away together, because that's what families do. They block out time to be together, to sit around table, to share meals, to get to know one another, to love one another, and that's why we're here. So I think it's fitting that we do this. So that's just, that is just to say that we are community. But as we read on in, in Hebrews 3, not only is it the case that we are community, but I think this shows us that we desperately need community in order to thrive. I think there's heaps of evidence out there at the moment that shows that community is really important for like mental health. There's just, you know, more and more studies that show that loneliness is a massive problem in our society, that with loneliness comes things like depression and anxiety and increased suicide rates. And that's, that's certainly true. But I think it's also worth thinking through the particular spiritual edge that, that comes with community, that the lack of Christian community has massive negative effects on our spiritual health. So the writer of Hebrews says, See to it, brothers and sisters, 
that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I think this passage shows the importance of community by kind of raising the, the level of just our understanding of the risk that we all face. Namely that following Jesus is hard. Because not only do we live in a culture that is fundamentally opposed to the gospel, and we live in this kind of secular, humanist, uh, materialist worldview that says there's no grand narrative, there's no God, there's no greater, deeper meaning. And we've got that to kind of contest against, and you've probably seen that around. But, but also, we've got an issue inside each and every one of us, which is that we've got hearts that are, are prone to be sinful. We've got hearts that are prone to be unbelieving. That left on our own, what seems to happen is that we get hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And so it's in light of this reality that on our own we are up against kind of a foe and a challenge that none of us can do on our own, that we need community, and that we are called to look out for one another. I think one of the best pictures I can think of that sort of shows what, what community needs to be in the kind of face of these challenges is in, um, is in The Lord of the Rings. So J.R. Tolkien, who was a man of faith and someone who um, was a part of a great community that gave him um, strength and support and encouragement through his life, through, through, through world wars and through just the challenges of life, wrote this book, this series, Lord of the Rings, which I want to argue is, is actually more about community than it is about kind of magic or war. I mean, the first book is called The Fellowship of the Ring, and that's what it kind of follows is this, this group, this kind of word fellowship, which we don't... We could call this a fellowship instead of a community. We're going to keep calling it a community because fellowship sounds super old school. Um, something like old people would say. But, but, but it's about this, this group of, of unlikely companions. You get this scene, which I'm sure most people have seen in Lord of the Rings, where, where they kind of form the fellowship where you've got uh, Gimli the dwarf and Legolas the elf and Aragorn the human. These, these groups that otherwise would be opposed to one another, who've got even some kind of natural dislike for one another, brought together by this objective and this, this, the seriousness of this quest to deliver the ring to Mordor. Um, and so they set out, you know, they've got orcs against them, they've got all the problems against them, but I think one of the things that's most powerful in this story, brings a tear to my eye every time, is, uh, is the relationship between Sam and Frodo. So you've got that scene, I don't even know, I'm not that big an expert, kind of which movie it's in. Someone, like, I'm sure Josh or James will tell me, they Lord of the Rings fans, but where, where Frodo is carrying this, this ring, which is kind of, kind of filled with evil, and, and just by having it near him is kind of corrupting his heart and his mind, is kind of t making him kind of twisted and evil and, and blinding him to the reality of what he's got to do. And there's this one point where he's just kind of lying there, kind of sick and, and broken and mad. And then Sam goes to him, I think it's uh, something like, uh, you, uh, what, how does he say? I, there we go, Tim. I can't, I can't carry the ring, Mr. Frodo, but I can carry you. Um, and I think, that, like, and then that's when you start crying. That's the most emotional thing in any movie ever. But um, I think when you think of Christian community, that, like, that's the picture of it. Not, it's not, we're not a book club. Um, we're not just you know, like a tea party that just, or just some friends. We're, we're people that are, that are facing something deadly and dangerous. The, the, the nature of sin, the, na the nature of being in a hostile world, and we have a responsibility for one another to get one another across the line to make sure as we look around that, that none of us fall captive to the, to the deceit of sin, to the temptation that each of us face, to, to, the, to the brokenness of the world. We need encouragement. We're in a battle of life and death. 
So we need community to thrive. Without each other and without mutual encouragement, our faith tends to grow weak. And I'm sure you've seen this in yourself. You've seen, when left to your own, your, your tendency to sin only grows. Your love for Jesus dwindles. Because we're not made to go it alone. We need each other. And I just want to say, this is why our midweek groups are so essential to the life of our church. They're the engine room of our church. Historically, we've called them missional communities. Um, but right now we're doing a bit of a, a subtle shift. It's not a big deal, but we're, we're just shifting to start calling them city-like communities, partly because that just sounds a little bit less weird as you describe it to people who aren't a part of our church. Maybe it still sounds a bit weird, but it's just one degree less. Um, but also partly because the missional bit wasn't um, necessarily the most clear in what we're expecting the main thing that happens in this group to be. To be clear, we're on mission as a church. We're still collectively a missional community. We're, we're trying to take the love of Jesus to the world. But for the sake of, of being clear about what these groups are on about, we've kind of narrowed down the purpose to say the purpose of city-like communities is that every member would grow as a disciple of Jesus. We've built this kind of structure into the life of our church to make sure that there is a place where every single person has a place to know others and be known and to be surrounded by a web of support to keep following Jesus, to grow in our love for him more and more every single day. That is why we have these groups. And when these groups are good, they're a massive source of life. My hope is that, that every one of us has experienced being in, in, whether it's this church or another group, some form of these kind of meeting and home kind of structures where, where we've seen it be a source of life. We've seen it be an encouragement. We've seen it spur ourselves all along in our faith. But the reality is, often, community doesn't necessarily live up to the ideal. It doesn't live up necessarily to the ideal of family or the ideal of this kind of tight-knit web of support and love and laying it down our lives for one another. And so I want to think about kind of why it is that that might be hard and, and to think through what it is that we can be doing to kind of push back on that as we keep trying to grow as a church. I'm going to jump ahead a few chapters in the book of Hebrews where the writer comes back to this idea of community. And he says this, it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not, meeting, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I think both of these passages we've picked out today, I just, one of the reasons I love them is because even though they were written 2,000 years ago, they're just so relevant to our situation now. That even 2,000 years ago, under the oppression of the Roman Empire, when Jesus was kind of fresh on people's minds, that some people were losing heart and giving up the practice of meeting together, which is something that we see today as well. And I think there's probably a bunch of reasons for this, but I reckon there's three isms in our culture that we can kind of fall prey to that really work against this idea of community. And that is individualism, flakyism, I'll come back to that one because I didn't have an ism for it, and cynicism. And we need to think through the impact that these have on us. So firstly, individualism. Individualism is everywhere in our culture. It's this basic idea that life is primarily an individual journey. Um, it's something you do alone. And the most pressing question that each of us have to answer for ourselves is, what do I have to do to make myself happy? It's not just a preference for our own space or our own opinions, but it affects our behavior on, on every level. There's this really interesting study that um, a writer called Johan Hari talks about where a, a number of kind of, I think they were some sort of scientists, maybe sociologists or psychologists or something, tried to work out uh, if you try to make yourself happy, can you? 
that was a kind of simple question. And they did this study in, in four, four countries, in the United States, in Russia, in Taiwan, and in Japan. And they said to people, go and try to make yourself happy, and then report back, um, was the essence of it. And what they found is that people in the United States didn't end up making themselves happier. Whereas people in the other three countries, in Russia, Taiwan, and Japan, successfully made themselves happier. And so they dug into why this was, and what they found was that in the United States, if you try to make yourself happy, you generally do something for yourself. So you work harder to get a promotion, or you go out and, and buy something, or you treat yourself. And they found that when people did this a week later, they didn't actually report any elevated happiness. Whereas people in the other three countries typically did something for someone else. They went out and did something for their community, or for their family, or for their friends. And so I reckon it's, it's kind of obvious that Australia is more like the United States from these other places. We're, we're in a culture that says, look to yourself. And we don't even realize that we're doing it. It's so ingrained in us to look to ourselves. And when you apply that individualism to the church, you end up with the idea that kind of faith is something that's primarily about me. It's between me and God. And if other people can help me in that journey between me and God, then great, I'll accept it. Like, I'll accept all the help I can get about me. Um, but at the end of the day, it's kind of up to me, and others' growth is up to them. But obviously, this just runs completely opposite to what Jesus teaches on this idea of family. Uh, in Philippians 2.3, I didn't actually get this one on the slide, it says, um, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. In relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And it goes on to describe how it is that Jesus made himself a servant for others. That Jesus didn't come into the world looking to improve his relationship with God as the main thing. He came into this world to serve, to lay his life down for others. Volunteering to be a servant-hearted person doesn't make really much sense in a culture of individualism. So we need to, as a church, be, be reminding ourselves that we need to be countercultural in having an interdependence on one another to serve others. And the good thing is this already happens in this church. There's, there's a huge amount of evidence of this. One of the places I see this happening, I think, just most in the life of City Light is amongst the leaders of your, of your City Light communities. I'm not leading a group this year, so this isn't a self-serving comment, but the, the leaders that lead our communities here are models of loving, others-centered service. They prepare studies, they open their homes, they spend time thinking through the week of how you guys are going and how they can love you and how they can help you and they pray for you. I can honestly say not one of them approaches your groups with a mindset of what can I get from this or what can this group do for me, but every single one of them comes with a mindset of how can I help build these people up? And it's a blessing that we have these leaders. And obviously, it's not just the leaders that do this. There's a bunch of other, other of you as well that come with that mindset and that, that good, servant-hearted mindset. But imagine if literally our whole church came with that attitude each week. Not of what, what can this do for me, but what opportunities do I have to love and to serve this week? It would be a, a massive engine of growth for our church and the experience that we have of it and the love that we have for it. Second, um, flakyism. Someone who knows more words than I do might tell me if there's an actual word that describes what I'm about to talk about. But um, it's really talking about the non-committal nature just of our generation. That we, we, we live in a culture of non-commitment. A few years ago, you'd, you'd sum this up with the kind of uh, responding as a maybe to a Facebook event. I noticed it. I just, I just, when I was writing this talk, I was like, is that still a thing? I looked, it's not even there. You can't click maybe anymore. 
It's going or interested. And interested is definitely just a maybe, but it sounds more positive. So it's like, because no one wants to be the, the maybe person, but interested is like, yeah, that's really interesting. And so you can, you're definitely not going to go to that. Um, but it's weird. Like, we've had to build a button that says interested. Like, you don't put that on a, on a wedding invite when you send it out. Like, come back into it. But that's the world we live in, where you can just click interested. Um, and so in, in group life, that, that's the last minute cancel. It's the, it's the kind of you know, string of text messages that, that, that comes through um, at, at the last moment before, before group. It's the last minute cancel that we have in just our friendship groups that you can make plans to spend time with someone and then you get a text at the last minute saying that they're not up for it. And I hope I'm not revealing that that just happens to me and it doesn't happen to anyone else when they've got plans to see people. <laughs> I know that it's not because I do it as well, so there's at least the people I do it to. Um, I think there's a few things that underpin this reality. I think sometimes this kind of lack of commitment actually stems from maybe us being a bit overcommitted, where we try to fill our lives with so many responsibilities and people and things that we just constantly feel kind of stretched. In my second Tolkien reference is this line that Bilbo Baggins says where he says he feels like butter spread over too much bread. And I just love that kind of idea that life can feel like you've got just too much to be across. And so it's just constantly difficult to, to be present. Um, I think the other thing that, that, that plays into it is sometimes it's just hard. Being a part of a community is difficult. Facing up and seeing people is difficult. Making yourself have the conversations and, and the effort to be there, particularly when you're tired. Sometimes it is simply just hard. Hard to be there, hard to be present. But I reckon it's the case that, that love means commitment. That if this church community is just one of kind of many things we've got a series of semi-commitments to, that we're not going to be able to give it our best. We're also not going to get the best from it. There's a line in Galatians that says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. Not giving up in pouring into, into relationships and into community, even when it's hard, means that there is going to be a harvest. There is going to be a blessing that we, that we might see a year down the track or two years down the track of being a community that has made a resolve to put one another first, to prioritize time with each other, whether that's on a Sunday or, or during the week or, or catching up people through the week, to say, no, I've got a responsibility for these people. Even when it's going to be hard, even when it's going to take a bit out of me, I need to do it because I love these people. That's what love looks like. And finally, cynicism. And I think cynicism is, is probably one of the hardest ones to overcome. Uh, it's, it's in our culture. Outside of the church, there is an attitude of cynicism to the church, which says that, you know, church is stupid, Christians are annoying. Um, it's kind of as simple as that. But I think this, this cynicism can creep into us as well at some point, which is when you kind of get to the point of just feeling deep down that ah, these people at church, they're just going to fail me. They're just going to let me down. And the reason that we get to that point is because there are times when church is really, really disappointing. Church is a place of hopefully massive kind of relational highs, but also it's a place of, of some real lows. It's tapping into this reality that when you're a part of a community and the more you make an effort to love others, sooner or later, you do bump up against sin and, and hurt and, and brokenness and disappointment. And just like families are places where you can experience some of your deepest hurts or disappointments and trauma, so too with the church. 
And, and it's really hard working through this because you kind of, it feels so wrong. Just like it feels so wrong that your family would let you down, it feels wrong when the church lets you down. And so it's, it is a sad reality that the church can be a place of hurt or disappointment. And we've been, when City Light started, it was the case we had people that had been hurt by churches out there. But we've been around eight years now, so it's extremely likely that for some of you guys are feeling that, that even this has been a church community that has been in some ways disappointing, some ways hurtful. And so I don't, I don't, wanna, I don't want you to kind of miss kind of hear what I'm saying because some of that hurt is real and a lot of that and some of that could be like needs healing and working through. But to get to the point where we become cynical, which is to say, look, I've been disappointed too many times. To stuff it, this will never be good. I'm not going to invest it anymore. Isn't going to be a road that leads to, leads to a better community and it's not going to be a, a road that leads to more healing. I kind of wish I could give a whole talk on this because I feel like it's something I've just been thinking about a bit lately. But to simply say that appreciating the presence of sin and brokenness in the church is actually the key to being able to experience grace and forgiveness and love the way that Jesus intended it in the community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite authors, started a community uh, somewhere off in the woods in Germany during, um, during the rise of Hitler to kind of train pastors and leaders to kind of be firm for the gospel in the face of the rising kind of Nazi situation in Germany. And he, he, writes, he wrote a book called Life Together, which is all about community. And there's this kind of passage in it, which I think is just so, so helpful in understanding how to push back against cynicism for community. I'm going to read it. It's, it's a bit of a long one. It should come up on the screen. He writes, Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by great delusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate with ourselves. By sheer grace, God will not permit us to live even for, the, for a brief period in a dream world. He does not abandon us to those rapturous experiences and lofty moods that overcome us like a dream. God is not a God of the emotions, but the God of truth. Only that fellowship which faces such disillusionment with all its unhappy and ugly aspects begins to be what it should be in God's sight, begins to grasp in faith the promise that is given to it. The sooner this shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and to the community, the better for both. A community which cannot bear and cannot survive such a crisis, which insists on keeping its illusion when it should be shattered, permanently loses in that moment the promise of Christian community. Sooner or later it will collapse. Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter even though his personal intentions may ever be so honest and earnest and sacrificial. To summarize it, we're not called to love an idea of community in our minds and our imagination. We're called to love the people in this room. Even though the people in this room sometimes will be sinful. Even though the people in this room sometimes will be broken. Even though some, some people in this room you might find particularly difficult. Even though some people in this room you might find particularly hard. And the reason that we are called to love like this is because we're a family. It's because Jesus brought us in and included us in his family. Not because we were likable. Not because we were perfect. Not because we were good or easy to get along with. Or just were incredibly steadfast and faithful and never kind of failed the friendship or the relationship. But he loved us out of grace. And we are a community that is built on grace. 
And so there is something refining about loving people who are hard to love. That's why one of the reasons we don't just kind of say, everyone just choose some friends and that's who you meet with on Wednesday night. We, we kind of do a bit of structure in these communities because we want a spread of personality types. We want a spread of life stages because there is, there is refining that happens in that process. When you're forced to love someone whose mannerisms put you off or political views really bug you or their personality is difficult or their sense of humor or lack thereof, you just don't understand. Um, that is an opportunity to practice love to be Christ-like in that moment. And when, when moments happen that aren't just matters of annoyance, but are actually damage done, or when a real wrong has occurred, there is an opportunity. Sometimes with there might need to be confrontation. Sometimes there might need to be real deep work and repentance and healing. But there is an opportunity to practice forgiveness. There is an opportunity to practice grace, which by definition is difficult. And the only alternative is to give up to give up meeting together, to say, I'm, I'm done with that, with that reality. And the sad reality is maybe some of you are feeling you're actually pretty close to that point. If that is you, we want to be, we want to be a support to you. We want to be able to, to help you get healing, to help you get to a place of feeling loved once again. We don't want to see people giving up. God is at work. God is at work in broken communities. God is at work in, in communities where people don't rock up half the time. God is at work in communities where people seem to be out for themselves. God is a God of broken communities. And there's also good things as well. Each one of our groups has acts of kindness that happen on a weekly basis, of humility and of love. I want to encourage us to keep on making the effort to meet with people who are broken, who are just trying to follow Jesus. I just want to finish by saying, I sense that we as a church are entering a season where there is some new life being breathed in. This time last year, we were, things were getting more and more closed off. We were about to enter a, a cold, dark winter alone. Um, and hopefully that's not the case this year. I don't know. But things are looking up. Look, look at the sun's out. The lake's calm. We're together. Um, next week, we're going to be together for church on a Sunday morning, next three weeks. I don't know what the future of this year is exactly going to bring, but like, things are looking up in a little bit. Um, things are getting more open. And I don't know what the future of City Light is going to be. I don't know who's going to be here in 10 years. I don't know if City Light is going to be here in 10 years. But what I do know is if City Light is going to be still thriving 10 years or 20 years or 50 years today, it's going to be because of this community. It's not going to be because of what building we've got or where we're meeting. It's not going to be because of necessarily who's leading it. It is going to be because this community has banded together to love one another like Jesus called us to love. And so today we've got an an entire afternoon free. We've got, if you're here for the whole weekend, we've got four more meals. And so I want to encourage you today to use this opportunity to, to pour into community relationships here. I want to give you three challenges. Um, I'd love if every person did each of these three things. I'm not going to check, but before we go tomorrow, um, maybe I will check with some of you, maybe I won't, but um, to do three things. I don't think any of them that hard, but some of them might require a bit of, a bit of, just doing it. Um, firstly, I want to encourage everyone to speak to one person you haven't spoken to before. And that's like um, you know, double points if there's someone at, at the other service to you, double points if they're uh, someone five years older or younger than you. Just try to get out there and meet someone you haven't spoken to before. If you're an extrovert, your goal is to speak to everyone. So that's, um, <laughs> but for people like me, one person. Um, <laughs> 
you haven't spoken to before. And even if there's someone that you see every week and it's kind of beyond that point of awkwardness, like I probably should have met him three months ago, but I haven't. Um, today's the day. Um, you got it? Speak to one person you've spoken to before. Two, ask one deeper question of someone. It could be someone you've only just gotten to know, but it could be someone you've known for a while. Um, you can ask whatever question you want, but something goes a bit deeper. A suggestion would be, how has your walk with Jesus been over this last year? If that's the phrasing you use, they'll know that you got it from here, and that's okay because a bunch of people will be doing it. <laughs> to, to ask that, how has your walk with Jesus been over the last year? As a chance just to get a bit below the surface, to actually have a conversation that might be really life-giving. And if someone asks you that, um, don't make them regret asking you. Give them a bit of an answer. Uh, t- talk to them. Okay, speak to one person. Ask one deeper question of anyone, i.e., how's your walk with Jesus been? And thirdly, pray with one person about anything, wherever, just in a conversation or when you're doing something, say, hey, can we pray about that? Um, I think if we all did that, I don't know, I don't know some quick maths. I guess if everyone did it, there'd be 80, 240 good things that would happen between now and the end of the weekend. If, every, if 80 people did each of those three things, 240 great things, 240 things to be thankful for on the weekend. So that's my challenge over the, over the rest of the time. That this might just be, God, this might just be a really just needed time for us as a church. We've come off a year of being separate and, and apart, and we've had a bunch of new people join in COVID, which is such a hard time to join a church. Let's be doing that together. I'm going to pray now. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this community. We want to thank you for the way you've enabled each of us to be here today. Uh, just thank you that you are at work. Thank you that you are, you are good. Thank you that you've You've given us this gift of community, of people um, who really are amazing. Um, this, it's a great community to be a part of, Lord, and we want to thank you for that. And we just want to pray that you would enable us, even this weekend, to go deeper in this community, to practice being a family, to practice loving one another. That might be a blessing that would, that would strengthen us for the year ahead um, and would just be a joy for each and every one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Then we're going to do just a quick minute just to reflect. Um, you might want to write down those things if you've got them, put them on your phone notes or something, or just reflect, pray on your own, and then we're going to sing a couple of songs together.